This episode of Point of View Uncensored is sponsored by Juicy Details, here located on the southeast side of Atlanta. Welcome back, everybody. So it's funny hearing hearing her passion for um, like the things that she's done as far as uh, passing the Voting Rights Act. And then now you see a lot of our generation don't even believe that voting is possible. But she's sitting here right now saying that voting does make changes. So what? who do we believe? Do we believe what we hear our colleagues saying or our friends saying? Or is what she's saying is really true, that voting really truly does matter and makes an impact? Um, I think a lot of people base, uh, base their statements off of the, re- the reality that we live in. But she did go into detail explaining how those lower levels of election do impact where those funds go to. So to the eye, it does appear that voting doesn't impact, but according to what she was sharing with us, um, similar to like redlining, the way that they're adjusting areas of voting so that they can be in favor for one group or another, does play out visually where you don't feel, where you don't see the impact. Isn't that, um, what's been going on all on this whole time, as far as you know, us not being benefited from, uh, I guess the pursuit of happiness and all that stuff they talk about in the Constitution. Yeah, I mean, I think you know, gerrymandering is the redrawing of districts um, to kind of give one political party an advantage over another. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's been going on, you know, historically as well as you know, uh, suppressing the um, right to vote of specific kinds of people. Uh, That's been going on, but I think what I really struggle with too, I admire her enthusiasm and her kind of hard work, on the ground work, uh, advocating for voting rights for everyone. But just like DJ got done saying, there's a sense I think that our generation is a little bit more apathetic um, regarding just the very process of voting, right? What does the vote go towards? What does it count for? Can we really make a change in the system by casting a ballot? There seems to be more ambivalence um, among the younger generation about that. Right. Especially when you consider that the rules are constantly changing. Uh, the field goal post is constantly moving, so it does give you um, the feel that you're playing a game and you either don't know the rules, which a lot of us don't, um, and she was explaining it into detail, or that the rule book is constantly being changed under our noses while we're dealing with life and all the chaos that comes with it. Mm-hmm. But isn't that just, I mean, if you think about it, that's, it's always how, how it's always been as far as us not knowing something. That's why we aren't able to get the things that we want to get, because we don't know. And then we find out the rules get changed. So I mean, if it, the rules keep getting changed, I mean, what is it that we are to do? Preach on rules. <laughs> and, I, and I understand, but it's like that sounds—it sounds nice. But like as we stated in the episodes before, like it's going to be kind of hard to create our own community within a community. I feel like we can, but then I hear as African Americans, it's really hard for us to do it because they really don't want us to be sufficient. You know, because again, we hear the Asians do it, they come here and do it. Everyone else can come here and, and be sufficient, but it seems like we're the only group that can't, that can't happen. So are you suggesting that uh, 
there is a system in place to feed off of this group of people who have a lack of um, community and ability to sustain themselves. Are, are you saying that every other group is sustaining off of this group and it's beneficial for this group to be dependent on the system in order for everyone else to make profit? Yeah, are you I, suggesting that there's some sort of pyramid that falls if we're moved from the bottom slot? Well, if you, if you look at it, we, as African Americans, we are, we spend the most money, we're the biggest consumers, but we own the least amount of, uh, least amount of property. Everyone else, it's not that same case. Like, I don't think those are coincidences. So, when you say something like that, are we trained to be consumers to this degree? Is there um, a programming that's taking place that's making us do this year in and year out? Because if you look at this year's um, numbers for black spending, it's increased. In the pandemic, when people were jobless or unable to go to work, the numbers for spending increased. So what, it always makes me look like at the, look at the level of accountability we have for ourselves. What level of accountability do we have for ourselves calling us out for this behavior which is adolescent in nature? I, to me, it makes sense why there's a connection between, we say, consumerism or materialism and the African-American community um, that stems largely from slavery. Um, and we know that consumerism, and if we want to talk about uh, economic systems, capitalism, is a sort of kind of um, economic uh, and material slavery uh, that can keep people in bondage. And so that correlation, DJ, that you mentioned about you know, higher rates of um, African-American spending uh, during the pandemic and asking the question of, are we being, condi are you, are we being conditioned to, to be like that? I mean, it's kind of a, the you know, replay of, in a different way, of, a, of, of that state of bondage. Um, that, you know, is, is cyclical. It just kind of repeats itself over and over and over in different forms. Right. It makes me, uh, it, to me, the two run side by side. You can't talk about um, making this paradigm shift without understanding and willing to change the monetary or the um, economic structure that black people have. Politics and, and monetary power go hand in hand. So it's like we're aspiring for greater things, but the actions outside of voting aren't really lining up. Mm -hmm. And all other groups have not just the political backing, but they have an economic structure that's strengthening their political presence. And that's why most people can't put their mind to why voting actually changes things. But if you look at even all the stuff that she was saying across the board, education, um, the medical, medical arena, judi the judicial committee, uh, the judicial department, it's all where it's no benefit to the African-Americans. Like even right now, like she's talked about the Supreme Court um, justice being, um, Joe, President Joe Biden is looking to nominate the first African-American woman. And you see the Senate is, is kind of in a frenzy as far as, as far as the Senate Republicans, you know, 
we hear Mitch McConnell has stated that it would be outsourcing to put an African-American woman in, in, in that seat. So even something as great as that it has nothing to do with economics whatsoever, but yet it's somehow it's a, it's a big issue within, within the Republicans. Um, Just Republicans. break down that statement. Outsourcing. Outsourcing in the sense of bringing in a alternative ideology for the, the, the true nature or narrative of America? Would that be the level of outsourcing that he speaks of? Um, well, I mean, would it be outsourced? I mean, we have, we have a, a black man there now, Clarence Thomas. I mean, did they consider that outsourcing when they put him in the Supreme Court? Because Mitch McConnell, I believe, he was one of the ones that voted for him to be a Supreme Court justice. I think it has to do with the, the political views. The, you know, the, the, I think the, the full quote was being outsourced uh, to the left or to the liberals or something like that. But that still, there's a still a factor of race with that as well. Because just like Paul, just like you said, um, Justice Thomas uh, is African American, but wouldn't have Mitch McConnell said that same phrase um, if the nominee, potential nominee, had his same political values? Probably, no, I'm gonna say no on that, probably, <laughs> right? So it's, uh, you know, it's, I think in the, in the interview with Ms. Brown made me uh, think about the way that all of these different categories and um, identities intersect. And so, yes, of course, you know, we need to look at race, we need to look at gender, we need to look at um, political ideology. These all come together, you know, and affect, um, uh, you know, how we're, we're positioned in society and the things that we are able to do or not do, uh, depending on those. It's, that's just a lot of information that you said, that a lot of insight that, you know, I hope that our viewers take a heed to it, you know, and definitely do something about it and make some things happen within their own sphere of influence. Um, but uh, I was looking at something about a week ago, um, and I see that Whoopi Goldberg has been suspended from The View um, for saying um, comments about the Holocaust of not being about race, um, since we've talk, been talking about race lately. Um, and I wonder, like, I mean, did I, did Holocaust not uh, was not caused by race? You know, and she said it was caused by. And I, I can put a clip here um, to be, you know, more specific to say um, exactly what happened. But the Holocaust isn't about race. No, no, it's well, not about race. It's about a different it, race. But it's it's not about race. It's not about well, race. What is it about? Because you, it's about man's inhumanity to man. That's what it's about. But it's about white supremacy. It's well, about but going it's not, after it's Jews not about and, and race. It's and but these are two Roma. white groups of people. Well, how do we have to black people see too. them as white people? And they, but you're missing the point. You're yeah. missing the point. Yeah. The minute you turn it into race, it goes down this alley. Let's talk about it for what it is. It's how people treat each other. Put that there. But pretty much it was that the Holocaust was, um, was not about race. And that's pretty much exactly what she said. So... Is it not, was it not about race, or was she just kind of just did she just did she misspeak? I'll go it's hard to say that it wasn't about race. I'm questioning if she means something deeper because there were other cultural groups there who were suffering along with the 
Jews that were in Nazi Germany. Maybe that's what she meant. Um, but it, it's hard to tell. I mean, uh, it's a, again, you know, I think it's a really sensitive subject and um, you, we want to be careful about how, you know, we talk and think about these things, but I would just say that the category of race itself is really, really problematic, right? How, who gets to divide up what a race is, what a race isn't? Um, the term race, you know, automatically divides humanity into different sections, you know, which is leads to disparities and um, inequality. And so, um, yeah, I don't know Whoopi's intention. You know, I don't, you know, knowing her, you know, I'm sure she would, was probably coming from a good place. But of course, now we have this cancel culture that we've been, you know, in for the last five years or so, that once you say something that is not PC or that, you know, someone takes offense to, you're canceled. Um, I think that is wrong. I think that is very unfortunate, and I think it doesn't go towards the protection of uh, free speech, free discourse, free thinking, which are all hallmarks of what I think a free society um, ultimately should be. Uh, so I don't think Whoopi should have been canceled. You know, I don't think her, her, her statements were probably well thought out. But um, no, I don't think she, you know, should be have been just kicked off the View or suspended for two weeks. So based off of uh, what we know, the last person who made some statements like this was probably Nick Cannon. So in the next few weeks, we'll probably see Whoopi with a rabbi and releasing some statements saying that she has a lot to learn and she should have thought about that. And we'll probably see her back in about two weeks. I wonder if she got paid. I wonder if they paid her. Um, if she got paid with leave or got paid without leave. It's Whoopi, she probably got money some way yeah. or another. <laughs> you right. Especially with that uh, show she had out with uh, Megan Good. Megan Good at Harlem, so she's constantly working. Um, what it does make me think about um, in the media arena, are there certain things that are just completely off limits? that will automatically get you canceled? And is that level of caution equal for all people, um, especially when um, we're in a time where everyone is voicing their right and um, making sure that things aren't coming off too insensitive to certain people groups? Um, if you were to switch characters, what before another person of another culture and that person speaking of a different culture would the same level of um, consequence be executed that fast? Hmm. Yeah, I, I mean, just to think of an example that we talked about on the show before, uh, Majority, Majority Taylor Greene, oh, yeah. uh, you know, she seems to get away with saying almost anything that she wants. And she's an elected official. <laughs> This is like the craziness, the hypocrisy, right. right? Whoopi's supposed to be an entertainer, but she's held to a higher standard than somebody that is in power and in charge of our government. Right. Mm. And not to mention that, that Whoopi is an African-American female, right? Whereas this other person is a, a white woman. So you have that at play as well. Then a white woman at that, that's, that's uh, 
being uh, inflammatory at that, you know, where, you know, you have her colleagues not even want to uh, have their offices by her, almost like a phrase. So, I mean, um, just to see that, you know, that's definitely is a double standard. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, speaking of cancel culture, this hot button topic this week is Joe Rogan and his podcast um, under scrutiny with spreading what's called COVID disinformation. Um, the podcast speaks widely of various topics all the time. And uh, I believe these episodes were maybe from a year ago where you had two doctors on that spoke, I don't wanna say opposing views, but alternative views on COVID and they're very well published. And it received much backlash uh, from the Spotify platform. Mm -hmm. So uh, what's happening now is there were two artists that came forward that thought that what he was saying was very dangerous and that Spotify should be held accountable for it. However, Spotify sees Joe Rogan, well, not sees him, but Joe Rogan is the highest paid and sought after podcast probably in the podcasting world. So that is forcing Spotify to put certain uh, rules and cautions in place on all of their um, podcasting platforms or all of their podcasters so that disinformation won't be given to the public so freely. Mm -hmm. Wow. Yeah, I mean, I think, um, I think that, again, you know, in the, in the spirit of free speech, um, I think it's really unfortunate and sets a bad precedent for Spotify. They haven't yet, but if they were to potentially, you know, cancel Joe Rogan, which I don't think they'll do because he's such a kind of integral part of their company. You know, he brings in, what, like maybe 20 million viewers, like a week or something like that. Yeah. But, um, you know, it gets to this basic issue of, you know, are we going to allow people access to alternative information or are we going to, you know, take a, a, a note from George Orwell from his book 1984 and give people the kind of information that we think that they deserve or that they need to hear? Right? Are we going to censor certain voices while we amplify others. I don't agree with you know, some of the alternative views, but I do disagree with trying to silence voices of dissent. And that is what is happening in our culture. We see it on, with Joe Rogan, we see it on Facebook, we see it on Twitter, we see it all over the place. And this is new. This is new under, you know, it came up under the Trump administration with the whole, you know, what do you say? Um, Fake news. Remember all that Fake whole thing? News. And so ever since then, I mean, you guys know that when you get on Facebook, you'll see those little like explanation points, you know, caution, this, you know, might have misinformation or something. I mean, that's a whole, you know, kind of can of worms that I think could be really, really bad to open. Right. So the question is, can you cancel somebody like Joe Rogan? In my opinion, I don't think that you can. Spotify is showing signs that they do not plan on filtering or slowing Joe Rogan down. Now, since this news broke, 
art, another artist has stepped up um, who initially was backing, I'm trying to think of the two artists, I think they were country singers who said that they were pulling their music from Spotify because Spotify is the lowest paying platform for artists. Following up with those two artists was India Irie, who initially said that she didn't like the COVID misinformation that was being spread. Later, she came forward saying that Joe Rogan and his use of racial slurs is forcing her to pull her music from the platform as well, which goes to the cancel culture. I don't think that Indiari has the power or um, music presence present day to cancel someone like Joe Rogan alone, but possibly if others in her field were to join together, there could be some noise. But the latest spin is that Rumble, another platform that has um, podcasts, is willing to pay Joe Rogan $100 million as well to come to that platform to speak as freely as he wants. Mm. Maybe it's good for him to get off a, a corporate platform, you know, like Spotify, right. and use more of an alternative you know, platform. Yeah, I think it's important that we're able to see things from different ends of the spectrum and that there should be balance. And um, as we continue to progress through this time and get information that's updated through science and through trial, that um, we don't fully censor or shut out people um, with varying opinions. I, I just think that um, as long as it's true, as long as you're not just saying false statements, because a lot of people are saying just false statements like, you know, our former president. Um, but like I said, if you speak your opinion and like I said, if it's based off truth, I don't see no problem um, of censoring or you shouldn't be censoring anybody's uh, words if they say how they firmly believe in things. I mean, if that's the case, you know, people can be censoring our stuff. <laughs> right. So I would, just, I would just point out too that I feel like it happens on both sides of the aisle, right? Mm -hmm. Democrats are guilty of it, Republicans are guilty of it. And I mean, it hits close to home for me because I am kind of, um, you know, much, much more careful now when I teach, especially regarding critical race theory, because there's a push uh, in Georgia, you know, still ongoing, uh, you know, to, to ban that kind of, of um, teaching uh, in the universities, right? Not just at, you know, um, the, the local level or the public school level. Um, but in the universities. And so um, it's from both sides, right? You get the, the PC Democrats, and then you get you know, the Re Republicans that are trying to ban CRT and ban certain books, take books out of our schools, right? And make those illegal. Yeah, what book, you, you, it was a book you said by Tony Morrill, Mor Mor Morrison, I'm sorry, Tony Morrison. The, and, um, Deep Blue Eyes, or yeah. The Deepest Blue Eyes. Yeah, that's kind of, um, and that's a very renowned uh, black author um, to just be placing a ban on it. He said, which county was that again? That's Blue uh, Eyes. Forsyth County. So Forsyth County, Georgia um, is banning The Bluest Eyes by Toni Morrison. And a lot of other books I'm reading, um, All Boys Aren't Blue by George M. Johnson, Juliet Takes a Breath by Gabby Rivera. 
um, Me, Earl, and the Dying Girl by Jesse Andrews. Um, and, and like I said, and it just, um, the list just goes on and on. And they're saying it's due to sexual explicit content, according to the district spokesperson. So, if, I mean, if that books, if these books been out, I mean, why are now you now banning it if, if it's based off sexually explicit content? I think knowing Forsyth County, what little I know about it, it seems to be more of a conservative county. And so again, you know, maybe the the notions around sexuality, sex, um, uh, you know, promiscuity, you know, maybe go against some of the more conservative values. Um, however, as an educator, I think it's extremely, extremely important for students and for uh, us, the general, the general public, to be challenged by ideas. And ideas should sometimes make us uncomfortable. Um, the solution is not to ban books, <laughs> okay? That's what dictators throughout history have done, okay? And we have seen how that has, has played out. Um, the solution, instead of banning books, is to teach our children, work with our children, work through the, the challenging content or what you know, might be triggering in some ways, um, and help them appreciate a work of literature, a book by Toni Morrison, right? What an important author, right? How are you going to ban that from teaching uh, in Georgia, right? I mean, that's uh, just, just absolutely insane. So, um, yeah, I think it's a, a, another instance of, of uh, the right, in this case, you know, looking to, to suppress, um, you know, challenging alternatives or alternative worldviews. I mean, it's just wars. This is going on all around us. Um, I think we kind of seen this happening. You know, Trump kind of gave us a, a hint of this whole Putin and this whole fiasco. So at this point, I mean, we just gotta wait to see what's happening. Like it's it's wars everywhere. You know, you just gotta just stay grounded. You know, I'm sure it all blow over. Uh, oof. Our cue. I think we should pay close attention to uh, global conflict. Um, outside of COVID, uh, international um, relations. If we were to go into another war or another Cold War type of situation, how does that affect us here on the ground, back home? Um, and that's, that's what I feel like is um, being swept under the rug. With the economy being so bad, can we afford to go to war? Um, well, well, I know we just, like, so we just um, withdrew from Afghanistan, right? And partially. so, partially. And so maybe, you know, that gives us more, you know, free reign to, you know, go in other places. So in case something else does pop off, I say pop off in other countries, I think we'll be ready. The citizens of the country that is scattered so thinly throughout the world how do we protect and guard ourselves at home with the threat of things like cyber attacks and every other unforeseen event, you know? So that is something of concern that if we have one more place that we're uh, protecting or invading, um, how do we sustain and keep, you know, the dollar alive, jobs alive, people from dying? Because I think they said that if this war were to take place that upwards of 50,000 people could die within the first couple months of it. So not only um, 
resources, but people sources. So is this gonna be another, you know, factor that, you know, we're gonna, again, you know, go to the grocery store and not see food on the shelves? And that's exactly what, you know, I feel the biggest concern should be. That's one more thing in the uh, global scale that will make it harder during a time that's, you know, already been frustrating to everyone everywhere for the last couple of years. So one more straw on the camel's back and um, things could potentially get ugly. Not to sound gloomy, but I think that's something that we, we have to jump out of um, you know, our comfort zone and start thinking about. Congress makes decisions when it comes to wars and things that like that, things of that nature. And so if Congress changes to a Republican, a Republican uh, uh, Congress, um, I would think, you know, is it you think it, it could be more aggressive? Because I mean, I think they need those, they want those votes in order to be more aggressive um, nationally or internationally. So that's what I'm more so concerned about. What, like, what the people is in, in place in our country, what are they going to do? What, what are they going to do in, in contrast to what everyone else is doing? Because that's going to make a great impact <laughs> on what's going to going to happen. Uh, it was either Twitter or Instagram, and um, up on my news feed, there was this feud happening between Kanye and Kim, and I think um, ultimately what it boiled down to is that Kanye was saying Kim wasn't let, letting him see his children. Um, and he made a statement, um, something to the effect of, uh, I'm not playing about my black children anymore. And so, um, you know, I'm curious to get, you know, what you think about that. You know, what, what is Kanye saying? What's going on? Why is this relevant? Well, I know that, um, I think one of his children had a birthday party or something, and she she didn't want Kanye West to come or something. But then I think I don't know if it was some rapper. I don't know if it was mm -hmm. Gucci. Shortly or, after, yeah, Scott. yeah. Someone ended up telling him the address of the party, and then he ended up going. And then security blocked it from going in. But then I think Chloe came out or something and let him in. It was just a lot, a, a big old fiasco. I mean, I don't. I mean, really, a birthday party like. Like this will be come down to we're not inviting our fathers to birthday parties over over what, like what like what what's the issue like y'all did y'all get divorced did you not get divorced, you know it's just like it's always them in the media and <laughs> I'm trying to understand why. At one point they were arguing over whether or not the young daughter should have a TikTok, and um, I guess his concerns were the effects of social or the negative effects that social media has shown to have on young children, especially young women. And um, I think everyone's taking their time to pick sides, mm -hmm. whether it's Kanye looking like a psychopath or whether or not Kim is um, looking like the, the divorcee from hell. So Georgia's governor, Brian Kemp, uh, passed a bill to make Georgia a can, uh, excuse me, constitutional carry state. Meaning that the process that we've been going through for the past however so many decades of having to go through a criminal background check in order to get a um, license to carry a weapon. So in Georgia, you can own weapons just by being um, 
a citizen, but in order to carry one on your person, you have to have a concealed carry or open carry license. That is now done away with, with Georgia being a constitutional carry state, meaning that if you are a Georgia resident, you can now go and purchase a weapon right out and carry it with you, except for places like um, federal buildings, banks, and certain areas in the airport. So how do you guys feel about this new change with um, what would appear people having easier access to guns in Georgia? I, you know, tend to be pro-Second Amendment. Um, just, you know, partially because of my upbringing. My dad actually made guns when I was growing up. Mm. Um, and I think, you know, the, 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 the population at the end of the day has the right to defend itself um, against, you know, foreign enemies, the government, so on and so forth. However, that being said, you know, I do think that uh, guns need to be regulated. Um, certain people should not own guns. Uh, and so, again, you know, it's, it's not an easy answer. Um, it, you know, just reading about the new, the new what, is it, what is it called, the constitutional carry. carry law, just reading about that, it seems a little bit lax, you know? There's not a lot of regulation, and that, that worries me, you know, that, you know, a lot of people that shouldn't get a gun may be able to actually get a gun. It made me think about um, Kyle Rittenhouse <laughs> in Kenosha, Wisconsin, when he, uh, I think he was trying to get his gun back. You hear about that? He was trying to get his gun back, and the judge uh, denied the, uh, denied the, uh, I guess, the decision. I think they ended up destroying it or whatever. Uh -huh. But he was 17 years old. Like, what type of audacity after you can kill somebody, and now you feel you have the right to get your gun back? So you saying a person that's underage, are they able to get that, or is it just... Or well, what's the gun? It's a rifle. So handguns versus rifles in certain states, you can be, like in Georgia, 18 is the age for you to have a rifle or a shotgun and 21 in order to have a handgun. So maybe in Wisconsin, 17 is the legal age to have a rifle, maybe 16. I don't want to see, you know, more of these cases of uh, people being killed for no reason people being killed because of their skin color, people being killed because they're just, you know, walking down the street, going home from work in the middle of the night, and they look suspicious, right? And so, right. you know, that, that, that's why certain people shouldn't own, own guns, right? I mean, you know, you need to, there needs to be a regulation process in place. People need to go through training in some respect. Um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, that just seems like, you know, the most ethical ethical solution as opposed to just saying a free-for-all. But I, I'm curious to what that type of regulation would look like. And um, would it be similar to um, your driver's license or any other type of license that you have? I personally haven't seen the, the DMV or the, the Department of Driver Services in maybe 10 years. I just do it online. And as long as I don't get, you know, pulled over or whatever, I just do it on my phone, they send me a new card and I'm good to go. So would that regulation look like that or would people have to actually go to get like a psyche valve, a genuine one, to really 
determine their level of, you know, awareness and capableness of being able to, you know, have a firearm. But uh, one of my final topics I wanted to uh, discuss um, were really uh, highlights that I, I watched that I love so much, I haven't really got a chance to finish watching it, is the Janet Jackson documentary. Um, how wonderful and beautiful that that documentary is, like highlighting like her childhood. She, like she, she stated that uh, her, Randy, and Michael were like three amigos like growing up. They were very, very close. Um, the fact that she talked about uh, Michael Jackson being um, after he was after he fired Joe Jackson, the father, um, she was like the next person that he managed, and he wanted her to be like the next Michael Jackson to be even better than Michael Jackson. So like just hearing those st stories and knowing that she grew up in a two bedroom house with a small kitchen and a small living room in Gary, Indiana, off Jackson Street, to now they're dealing with racism in L.A. Um, living down the street, you know, living in neighborhoods with white people and dealing with racism, like had all this money and still dealt with, dealt with racism. Mm -hmm. So um, I don't know if you, I, I don't know if y'all watched that documentary, but what did, what, what did y'all think about it? It's <laughs> on my list of coming up of things to watch. Um, so um, I'm already obsessed, uh, but I think what the the part that I watched, which um, stuck out to me, was how Janet was treated um, after the Super Bowl incident. The famous was wardrobe malfunction, Lip right? Slip. And you know, talk about cancel culture, right? Like that was the one of the first big incidences of cancel culture. You know, just because she had you know an exposed breast on television that was an accident. You know, her being a woman plays into it. Her being an African American plays into it. And what did what happened to Justin Timberlake? He went on to have, you know, how many number one songs? Number one that? songs, movies. Yeah. And, you name it. <laughs> you know, Janet's career was kind of canceled at that point. Um, and so, you know, that was really nice to hear kind of her personal take on what happened during the Super Bowl. Um, and, you know, just some of the, the context surrounding it. I didn't think it was, I mean, when it happened, I was like, oh, I, th cause I was like, oh, wow, it happened. But then, like, I feel like the aftermath was the more alarming effect. It's like, dang, it's like, it was marketed everywhere, like, as if, as if she, like, shamed somebody. And then, like, she even talked about, even, I remember even Oprah uh, had her, Oprah, Oprah, she was on Oprah Winfrey show talking about it. Um, and I remember her saying back then, like, she felt like that like, Justin Timberlake kind of, um, you know, kind of left her high and dry. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm pretty sure they probably amended that, uh, that issue or amended that relationship. Mm -hmm. But um, I know Janet Jackson was had, felt the type of way about Justin Timberlake when that happened. Like, especially he went on and became number one. You know, he started performing with Beyonce. You know, they did a little uh, nice little piece together. Dang, so he ditched Janet for Beyonce? Yeah, that's really what happened. Like, I mean, they had a nice little duet. What was that duet? Uh, Ain't nothing like the real thing, yeah, baby. Uh, what was that? I love that part. The end of time. Oh, yeah, end of time. Oh yeah, she, she. Uh, that was that was. I mean, that was. I mean, he just started skyrocketing <laughs> up to that point. And Janet Jackson, I think she ended up leaving the country. I think. Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah, for a while she dated a, a, a billionaire from I think the Middle oh, East. Oh yeah. Or got married actually. I think. That did happen. Had a, had a baby. And now she's divorced and has a huge, you know, prenup settlement, thankfully. Man, mm -hmm. that was good business. Maybe, right? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe her and uh, Justin Timberlake playing that one out wild. 
<laughs> so, as we wrap up on this episode, just as you can see, so much, always different topics we talk about, you know, from the depths of water to the grace of them all, but we always gonna keep it authentic, always gonna keep it real, and we always gonna keep it true. So stay tuned to our next episode.